we try to get to what we call sellers discretionary earnings. We were doing three to five Zoom calls every week with potential buyers. I just couldn't believe the amount of interest. I wanted to create a social network where people, women in particular, could go on and find peer support. We've built a platform that allows early stage businesses to take advantage of the research and development tax credit. I'm Richard Gerhardt. And I'm Elizabeth Gerhardt. Stay tuned because the rest of the show is just fantastic. Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm Richard Gearhart, an intellectual property attorney specializing in patents, trademarks, and copyrights. And I'm Elizabeth Gearhart, not a lawyer, but I work in Gearhart Law, helping with the marketing, and I have my own startup. That's right. And welcome to Passage to Profit, the show that's all about entrepreneurs, small businesses, and the intellectual property that helps them flourish. Tonight, we have a special treat for you. We have Gene Sower and Paul Volin from Samson Media and Website Closers, respectively. And they're going to be talking about how to sell your business. So after you have a fantastic business, you may decide to sell it. And these guys have been there and done that. And they're going to have lots of great advice for us. And after that, we have Adonica Shaw, who has started an incredible new platform for women. I love the name Wing Women, so I can hardly wait to hear about that. And then for all you super smart people out there who do research and development and want to pay for it. This is way above my pay grade, by the way. Brent Johnson has a program to help you get those tax credits you so desperately need to fund your research. Any tax credit is a good credit as far as I'm (laughs) concerned. But before we get to our distinguished guests, we're going to start with IP in the news. And what are we talking about tonight? The metaverse, new toys for the metaverse from Facebook. So does anybody really know what the metaverse is? We'll find out. I guess. (laughs) Well, we're trying to read the tea leaves by reading the patent. So we have one from Facebook here. And Mark Zuckerberg has gone from just social media now. He has a special company for developing metaverse gadgets, I guess. So it's called Facebook Technologies, which I didn't know existed. And I guess he's in competition with Jeff Bezos now for like the weirdest, wildest stuff. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the patent? So when you're in the metaverse, I guess you're going to be wearing glasses. Well, I'll be wearing glasses, but special glasses that have all sorts of sensors and speakers all over them. So there's just a whole lot to it. It has acoustic sensors, speakers, and so it can tell when you're talking and it can put stuff in your ear through your glasses. This is like the beginning of the technology associated with the metaverse. It's a little bit like Google Glass, only they don't have the visual uh, screens like Google Glass. Probably because Google Glass They probably have the patent, so they went full audio. I just think it's an interesting topic, getting to see the future a little bit. They kind of went backwards from what IBM did, because IBM started out as a business machines company, and now it has a whole lot of tech. Facebook started out as tech, and now it's getting into the Internet of Things and consumer products. Right. So So what will they think of next? Who knows? knows? But before we leave this topic, I'd like to check in with our guests. This is Richard's Roundtable. And uh, does anybody have any comments or questions about intellectual property in general. So Gene, uh, what are your thoughts here on all of this stuff? Well, speaking about the metaverse, about Facebook's metaverse, I think it's about the Oculus. Isn't, isn't the Oculus the whole virtual reality headset that they've really spent a lot of uh, money in? Isn't that really, really the, the entryway to the metaverse? And now the glass, it's, it's more of like an augmented reality. So it like superimposes objects on your normal vision. Also, it's a partnership with Ray-Ban, isn't it? It very well could be. The patent is in the name of Facebook. I don't see any split assinees, which would show like a joint ownership, but the, it's impo- it's possible. I've seen commercials. Be. I've seen commercials for it. And it's a ra- I thought it was a Ray-Ban. And then it says, you know, metaverse at the bottom. Oh. But these don't have anything, at least in this patent that we're looking at visually. Everything here is audio sensors. Mm. Right. And, and it's like a regular pair of glasses. Yeah. So there may be another toy that you know about. That we, <laughs> yes. we didn't find when we were looking yes. at this patent. Why limit yourselves to one gadget when you can make millions, right? Exactly. And so um, in any case, Paul, what are your thoughts on all of this stuff? With someone like me who works with a lot of small businesses, especially in the digital world, 
my perspective is always around these new technologies is how is advertising, marketing, especially for small businesses going to enter that world? You know, is it is it in you know, there's a way to do it on Facebook that we all know, Instagram, et cetera. But this metaverse and how especially small digital businesses are going to play in that environment and how they will market themselves, especially in a service standpoint. I can understand product placement, but, you know, services like jeans, for example, you know, uh, digital marketing. How is that going? How are they going to present marketing opportunities for small players like that in this world? So. I don't know. I haven't, you know, I, I'm, it's just a very curious uh, perspective from, from my standpoint. I haven't seen anybody really address it yet. Right. And I think for me personally, the metaverse is still a little bit of a mystery. I think they put it out there to kind of generate some buzz about it. But, you know, it's, it's obviously a, a technical journey of some sort that Facebook has in mind. And I like the idea that you're finding the niche in there for small businesses because they should be able to capitalize on all this stuff too. Yeah, right? Facebook ads are reasonably priced, but I wonder what metaverse ads are going to cost. Right? <laughs> They're going to be meta expensive, aren't <laughs> meta they? Expensive, right? <laughs> Brent, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm a relative novice for intellectual property and, and patents. And, you know, I'm a tax credit guy, I'm a tax geek, but I'm always curious about, um, you know, hey, I, it's clear to me when a new product comes out, the value of obtaining a patent. But as we get into a more digital world and brands and uh, service offerings over, you know, that are offered in a, you know, SaaS kind of platform, how do you protect those? You know, how, what uh, kind of intellectual property protection is available? How do you make sure you don't get pirated, I guess? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. You can't protect everything right? It depends a lot on what you're doing. And the easiest rule of thumb that I go by is if somebody sees it and they can copy it fairly easily, like on a digital platform, and it's protectable because it meets the requirements of patentability, seriously think about intellectual property protection. So there's a balance there between protecting things that are only short-term projects versus something that's maybe more long-term. And if you can keep it a secret at the back end in the software, and it would really take a lot of reverse engineering, it's very fact-specific. You should talk with your intellectual property professional about it because there's no one blanket right answer. It just depends on what you're doing and what your goals are. So Adonica. Honestly, I have a couple of questions about it. I'm, I echo Brent's sentiment in that I'm not an expert in this area, but I'm wanting to know, I guess, just for the group, is this going to be something where Facebook exclusively provides the uh, tools or the toys for the metaverse? Are other companies emerging that can also provide the tools and the toys for the metaverse? Or is this something that Facebook purely has a monopoly on because they know how the metaverse works. And so I'm just wondering if there's going to be other players coming into the metaverse toy space that you're aware of, or if this is something where we're just going to see a series of toys coming out exclusively from Facebook or meta to be able to access the verse. Well, if they keep getting patents on everything. <laughs> I, I, and I love your reference to toys too, yeah. because really. That's a good question though. I mean, that's to be seen probably, but they are patenting everything they're coming up with now. Right. And it depends on the strategy. You have Google on the one hand, which was very open source and opened up their platform to a lot of different developers. And then you have Apple, which really was a very closed system. And they limited a lot of development just to Apple licensees. And even in the beginning, it was only Apple stuff. It's a question of what business strategy you take. And both have been successful. So we just have to wait and see what Facebook does with the metaverse. Well, they may not let things be compatible unless they give them their blessing, which I imagine that's what they'll do. Will they let other people make stuff? Probably because there's- They'll charge them for it. They'll charge a license fee, I'm sure. Right, yeah. I mean, exactly. And just because Facebook is making the metaverse doesn't mean that's the only uh, metaverse that can exist. In fact, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think- um, didn't Activision have their own uh, metaverse with the World of Warcraft, which was a very popular yeah. game for the yeah. last five, six years. And they were actually selling advertising within the game. You could purchase armor, you know, pieces of the costume, whatever it was. So they've already been selling into that. I think it's really going to be a question of competing metaverses at some point. 
Let's start our own metaverse right now. Everybody on this show, let's commit to starting our own metaverse. Okay, but let's ask Kenya first. Okay, well, Kenya, are are you in or are you out? (laughs) But she has to get her comments. I'm I'm definitely in. I'm definitely in. Um, And to Jean's point, we at iHeart actually just announced last week that we did a partnership with Roblox. So we are going to be officially in the metaverse by Q3 of this year. That'll all be rolled out. There will be opportunities for advertising that we work with to get ad space, to be a part of experiences from all the podcasts to all the live events that we do. So Facebook is definitely not going to be the only player in that space. That's good to know. So, you know, your dream gene of competing metaverses seems to be coming true, even as we speak. (laughs) So So if there's competing metaverses, does that mean you have to get toys to access each individual toys or tools to access each individual metaverse? It's Think about a, Windows, Apple, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. beta, VHS. I mean, it's yeah. going to be that kind of it thing. It seems yeah. very con- expensive for the consumer. <laughs> well, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I, I want to create a Galactiverse, right? That encompasses the, like the whole galaxy. Okay. Why, why stop at the metaverse? So I think, I think we better move on. Although, I mean, we, the show wasn't really supposed to be about the metaverse, but do you want to introduce our guests? Gene Sower and Paul Volin, business experts. Gene is an expert at websites, visual media. I've seen his work on his website and it's really amazing stuff. Paul is from website closers. Closers means closing business deals. So welcome to the show, guys. Yeah, I know you wanted to talk about how Paul helped you sell your company, right? Yeah, Samson Media. I started it 16 years ago this month, actually. We're a small digital agency. Uh, it was the kind of thing where you know, anywhere from, you know, at any given time, 15 to 20 clients. And we do social media and, and email marketing and website development, that kind of thing. And I never really thought that it was something that I could sell, being that it was just really just a list of clients. I don't have any real estate. I didn't have any equipment. But what I learned very quickly after being introduced to website closers and then connecting with Paul is that The fact that the business was a mature business and it had a track record of profits and earnings, that was really what made it a sellable business, which is what I learned. I had no idea that that was was like a major criteria for being able to sell your business. And the question that I have, which is so interesting about this, is that you know, so many businesses now are service oriented and, you know, usually the smaller businesses kind of rely on the owner or the creator to sort of be the glue that holds the whole thing together, right? And so if you're selling a business and that owner is no longer there, then what happens to the business, right? And how is that handled? Well, there were really two types of buyers that were interested in buying Samson Media. One type was a larger agency that was looking to basically absorb the earnings and the and the income streams into their business and then be able to disseminate the work amongst their existing staff and probably get rid of my staff and probably not have me stay. The other type of business was somebody who was looking to start this type of business and didn't want to start it from scratch and was looking for a proven process and a team and a methodology and a brand and you know a reputation and that kind of thing. So that's ultimately who I wound up selling it to. Also, the buyers would ask really, they all asked two questions. One was, why am I selling? And am I willing to stay? And why I was selling, I gave the same answer, which was basically, I was just kind of getting tired of it. You know, it was just kind of time to move on. And, um, you know, they wanted to know if I wanted to stay on. And some were wanting to know if I wanted to stay on because they didn't really want me to stay on. Others were like, they really wanted me to stay on, which is really what I wound up doing and what I wanted because now I'm now a consultant for my own company. So I not retired. My daily responsibilities are way different. I'm now no longer dealing with all of the day-to-day client activities and I can really devote my time to really new business and business development, which is what I do enjoy. And you know how it is when you're, you know, your own business owner, you're constantly getting pulled by so many you know, different forces around you, where now I'm able to uh, basically, you know, bring in business. Uh, I'm still handling probably about 20% of the day-to-day stuff, but being able to hand it off to the team and have them do it. And I I tell you, in the first couple of months, you know, I'm CC'd on everything and I just see things going by and I'm like, 
wow, I don't have to do that. I don't have to respond. <laughs> it's being handled. And, you know, it's really, it's really been quite fabulous. So the person who bought it for me, a guy named Ken, we work very well together and um, we kind of complement each other. And he was really looking for another senior person you know, help him take it to the next level. And I, I think we're on the right track. So, well, that is Richard's dream, I think, to, to, to <laughs> no, be part of it, to have other people. But I, I, I I, like, I'm never going to give it up. I'm going to die at my desk. But I know? wanted to ask Paul. So, Paul, what was your role? How did you facilitate this fabulous deal for Gene? Because this sounds perfect for him. Well, what we do is, you know, we're obviously in Gene's case looking for a buyer. Right, we're trying to find the best buyer for his business, and and Gene kind of alluded to it that the exit can take many forms depending on the buyer's desires. Right, so we could have a large agency in his space in this world that is looking to roll up smaller digital agencies like Gene's, and in that case, they're just leveraging their current uh, workforce and current operations and can absorb that business. There are others that are just looking to make an investment and they just you know, want to make an investment in a business that they can grow. So that might be some private equity. It might be a family office environment. Um, and that requires then the owner to stay on for a while. So some owners are willing to do that over a longer period of time and then train a new owner that the private equity firm or family office wants to put in that place to grow the business. Or it could be an individual buyer, as it was in Gene's case, where that person just wanted to learn the business, take over as the owner, and then really, you know, up to Gene, how much he wanted to stay involved in the business. And so it was through conversations with Gene to figure out, okay, what kind of exit do you want so that I can find the best buyer for you? Uh, and uh, interestingly, along the way, we actually found a buyer very early. So this process started last February. That's when Gene first reached out to us. By May, and this is you know after going through all his taxes and financials and getting the business ready for sale, uh, just two months later, we had a buyer. And uh, Gene, uh, after conversations, multiple conversations, felt like it just wasn't a good fit. Like he didn't feel confident that this person would carry on, you know, what he's created, his legacy um, in the future and, and treat his clients the way he wanted them to be treated. And so he said, you know, Paul, I know they're willing to pay, you know, what I want. I just don't think it's the right fit. So, you know, then we started looking for another buyer for him. And, and so, you know, it was an iterative process, you know, as Gene was trying to figure out what do I want to do once I sell this business? How am I still going to make an earning? How am I still going to stay busy? I still have productive years ahead of me, so I don't want to completely get out. So how do we find a buyer that's still willing to work with me, but I can still get my exit? I can still get that, that check at closing. And so we just went about finding another buyer. And the nice thing about our business, just to toot our own horn, is that we reach over 1 million buyers. And so you know, that's from the uh, single entrepreneur looking to buy his or her own business to, like I said, large hundred million dollar plus investments from uh, venture capital and private equity firms. So across that span, we're likely to find a buyer that's a fit. And uh, sure enough, two months later, uh, or actually a month later in June, uh, we found uh, Ken, you know, the other buyer. And, uh, and it was just a perfect fit. He's a great guy. Gene's a great guy. It was a match made in heaven. And I think, you know, for the last, uh, what, four months now since it's closed, they've been working along great together. So, yeah, that's how we found the buyer. It was, you know, about finding what was best for Gene and the company moving forward. Wonderful information. It's the first time we've ever had anybody on the show. It's the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. We could talk about this all day because. This oh, is yes. And so yeah. it's the first time we've had somebody on the show who uh, can talk about selling a business. We usually talk about creating a business. <laughs> But then for people who have done that, this is great information. Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt. We'll be right back after this commercial message. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gerhardt Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GerhardtLaw.com. At Gerhardt Law, we have years of experience 
experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Our special guests, Gene Sower and Paul Volan. It's time to move on to Power Move with Kenya Gibson. Kenya, who's our Power Mover of the week? We're going to be talking about 50 Cent, who is worth well more than 50 cents. He's actually <laughs> worth $30 million and getting richer week by week. He actually launched a new platform where he's going to tap into solving some of hip hop's long unsolved homicides. So there, I don't know if you remember that show Unsolved Mystery. Right. Yeah. But that, show, that was a great show, right? Mm-hmm. So he's going to put on his own version of that. He's going to focus on the hip hop community and the unsolved homicides that were never solved, which is going to be very interesting because there's some very notable artists who were unfortunately killed, who we have no idea what happened in those circumstances. So I'm excited to see what he's going to do with this new venture and platform. You know, he was super successful with power, that series power that he created. And then now he's on to his next thing. So that's what we were talking about today, creating things, selling them, and then moving on to what's next in our creative careers. So this sounds really good. Yeah, yeah. I love crime, crime, yeah. true crime dramas. You know, I'm, I'm hooked on those. And this is definitely a different cut. I think it definitely <laughs> makes for a more interesting story considering how much the hip hop culture you know, impacts just like mainstream everything today. So I th- definitely going to be tuned into that. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. just saying, though, that's like there's sort of this aura of toughness that comes from, you know, being out there and being in dangerous situations. And that's kind of part of the hip hop culture, right? Well, I mean, we, we it's called street cred, right? right. So, yeah. you know, right. but I think what people more want to be known for is their contribution to the culture through their music. So I would want to be known for that rather than the street cred part, because the street cred part it's a crapshoot. Right. You know? Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I don't want to be shot to make Passage to Profit famous. No, so. me, neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> that said, can we move on to Fireside now? Okay. <laughs> so, so I have a startup called Fireside Directory. It's a video directory for small businesses with incredible cutting edge marketing techniques for the business owners that are on the site. A real advantage for consumers going to the site because you get a taste of the person you might work with. I was really excited to have Paul and Jean on the show today because from the very beginning of this project, I wanted to build it to sell. And Richard has been helping me and he's like, investors like this, you know, you got to be able to scale it. And so I found a website guy I'm working with who is part of an investment group And I told him flat out, I said, I want to be able to sell this in eight years. I want it to be investment ready. So I want it to be something investors would look at, even if I don't need the investment money to get it to that point. And so it's really interesting to hear everything Paul says about what you need to do to sell your Are we still even going to be able to see the computer screen in eight years? I mean, in well, I'm I'm hoping this will transition into the metaverse. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. There you oh, go. The first directory in the metaverse. I think we should patent that. <laughs> so uh, I did write that a patent means. application on it, which is I'm patent pending on it, and I'm trying to get the trademark. But um, yeah, I mean, we we could explore the metaverse and see how this would fit in there. So I am really excited to hear from Adonica Shaw about her Wing Women platform. Welcome, Adonica. Good morning or good afternoon, good evening, good night, whenever you're listening to the segment. (laughs) So tell us what you're doing and how you're doing it. So I am the founder and CEO of Wing Women. Um, It is essentially a social network that is focused on women's health. And so I know we were talking about Facebook a little earlier, but it would be the difference of everything on Facebook only related to health topics and the ways people manage their health, how they're managing their physical health, mental health, um, things of that nature. So in my own 
personal health journey, um, maybe I guess it's going on five years ago now, uh, with the birth of my third child, I experienced a condition called preeclampsia, which disproportionately impacts women of color. Um, I had no idea what it was, but it landed me in the hospital at 34 weeks and I had to have an emergency delivery um, within about 24 hours. And so usually with preeclampsia, it is supposed to resolve by having the baby. Unfortunately, in my case, um, over the next few days, my blood pressure continued to spike and I experienced a code blue in the hospital. So spoiler alert, I lived. <laughs> that wasn't that's, evident that's about where I was going with it. So you got your street cred, yeah. I got the story, yeah. I know. <laughs> um, so spoiler alert, I lived. Um, but in the process of rehabilitating my mind, body, spirit in the years following that, it was quite the journey. Um, and it's one that I did primarily by myself, because when you have something that disrupts your health, that is either as significant as a code blue, preeclampsia, cancer, you know, any number of diseases or conditions that could seriously disrupt your life. You don't always want to put that burden on other people about what it feels like, what you're going through, because they still want to have a version of you that doesn't require you to only talk about your health or your condition or your sickness and whatnot. And so when I came through that health journey, I was like, you know, I wanted to create a social network where people, women in particular, could go on and find peer support because I did the process largely alone. And so the idea of wing women is just that it's having other wing women that you can talk to while you are rebounding through a health journey, talk to get um, questions to answers, how they manage things, check in on people. And then in addition to the peer support component, we have a directory. So most of us know when you go to the doctor's office, you get like 15 minutes <laughs> with a healthcare provider. And so I think Right now, in particular, more than ever, people want that old school, like being able to build a rapport with your doctor or physician, healthcare worker, patient advocate. I myself am also a patient advocate at this point, but it can be really hard to do that. And so I wanted to build something, like I said, where they can build those valuable relationships and connections and then foster their health outside of the burden of, of putting it on their family members. That is such an insightful thought. And I think what you're doing is, is absolutely great. Do you sort of have it organized by, is it just anybody can talk about any kind of medical issue or do you have it organized so that people who are, have had similar medical issues might be more empathetic? How is the site set up? Well, for now, our focus is on women's reproductive health and physical and mental health as it relates to the prenatal pregnancy and postpartum periods. On my advisory board, I've got some really amazing people, one of which is Dr. Linda Bradley. She's with the Cleveland Clinic and just phenomenal work. She's a former president of ACOG and I believe a board member for ACOG right now. So just given their expertise as OBGYNs, her and Dr. Uh, Pari Godsi, and I have two mental health experts on my advisory board, we felt that our strongest go-to-market and in-market positioning was around women's reproductive health. And then myself as the founder, you know, having my own personal story and journey, I think speaks to the necessity. I mean, obviously outside of all of the statistics that are out there about why we are positioned the way we are right now. Well, I think it's excellent. And I think the focus on that is really important because, you know, there's the old kind of thought with a lot of people, oh, a woman has a baby, she gets on the horse the next day. You know, no. it's like, <laughs> <laughs> right? And you're That's like, there's no works, way huh? I was riding a horse after having my baby. But no. uh, I think people, people How, especially just so, the horse, I you know, mean, <laughs> people just so, so take it for granted. And all sorts of things happen and people don't talk about it because nobody's like, they're like, well, you had a baby. Everybody does it every day, but to have yeah. a group you can go to, I think is super important, but I can yeah. tell Kenya wants to say something too. Well, I just think it's wonderful because I feel, especially at a time where I think everyone, whether you're a man or a woman has felt secluded because of everything that's going on with the, the pandemic, that this is very timely. And that if you are experiencing some sort of health issue that you do have a community 
that you can go connect to and feel part of something. So I, I think that it's a very brilliant idea. What is the experience like? So when somebody joins it, like what are the expectations? Like what happens? Um, expectations are, I mean, they obviously have to treat everybody on the platform with respect. Um, but they essentially have access to it very similar to other social networks. There's a main timeline, you have a profile, you can search through other users. I would say one of the things that makes us exceptional or unique, and it's something that I'm still determining legalities around just in case anybody is about to <laughs> follow up immediately after this interview, um, is that it has a text crisis line. And so I think all of us can attest to the fact that when you've been on Facebook, you've seen something that's alarming disturbing and just kind of strikes you in a way that's not always um, helpful. And so particularly when you're talking about your own healthcare journey, it can be really emotional, right? And so the other part of that experience for the user is that if they just need somebody to talk to, there's a text button within the platform and we just text. We don't offer medical advice, but again, if you just need somebody to talk to about whatever's going on, that allows the user to not only engage with other users, but if they need personalized care without needing to go into a doctor's office and they just need somebody to talk to, you know, it's something that's available to them. And the great thing about the text crisis line is that it's HIPAA compliant. And so any information, pictures, content that is exchanged back and forth from the user to us is encrypted. And so it stays with the network, which I think is a big difference because right now a lot of these conversations are already happening, but they're happening in Facebook groups. You know, I don't necessarily need my neighbor three doors down to know <laughs> what my mammogram results were, right? right. <laughs> you know, and so keeping it enclosed in its own network. And if you're sharing pictures and all of that, you're not putting it in a position to be widely shared across social media because everything stays in our network. There's no buttons to share out. So once you're a member, you know that you're only talking to users that are also in that same user experience. It's not like cross-promoting, oh, look at, here's the picture of my colonoscopy. <laughs> you know, like it's not going to be shared across social media and disrupt your professional life three weeks later. And so, you know, no, just that's really, absolutely yeah. amazing. Well, I love no. your text function because I know like postpartum depression is a thing too. And mm -hmm. I can see a huge need. I think Jean wanted to say something. Yes, I, I'm just curious. What's the business model? So like how is it funded? It's an ad-driven company. So ad advertisers okay. are essentially healthcare systems, health insurance companies, patient advocates, health coaches, people that would essentially be willing or would want to work with any of the patients that are on platform. It's a unique buy-in. You have an ad sales team? No, but it's interesting you bring that up. Right now... And I believe yesterday they just made the announcement, our company was accepted into the NASDAQ United Nations Milestone Makers Program. And so mm -hmm. our milestone under the guidance of NASDAQ um, or the Entrepreneurial Center there was to launch our ad structure. And so that's coming next month. And so I oh. will be looking to find different people to work with us to grow that in the coming months, but it's a tremendous time for us because I think initially we were going to go after a marketplace model and it just didn't suit what we were building. So, and to be a member, there's no charge to be a member of it. It's, it's a free. No. Okay. No, for the user, it's completely free, right. but for the advertisers, healthcare providers, there's two different tiers that they can pay for. And so based off of whatever their monthly or annual fee is, they have more ability to engage with users. So for the lowest tier, you can build your own group. You can use your um, profile to message different users. You can engage with people in the different forums. But for the higher tier, if you want to be in an email blast, be included in our events, I be see. listed as an annual advertiser, it's, it's obviously a higher rate. So right. just between the two tiers depends on how much engagement they get directly with the patient population. This is okay. excellent. Unfortunately, we're out of time for this segment, but this sounds like a great platform going forward. How do people find it? Uh, we're online at www.mywingwomen.com. Excellent. Well, thank you, Adonica. So listeners, don't go away. We have another really great presentation coming up after the break. And if you missed any of this, our podcast comes out tomorrow. But for now, you are listening to Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart on Passage to Profit on WOR 710, the voice of New York. 
and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley's Inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And we just heard from Adonica Shaw, a wonderful thing she's doing. But now we get to talk to Brent Johnson all about getting money for your research, which is very cool to a lot of people. So Brent, please tell us what you've done. Yeah, we've built a platform that allows early stage businesses to take advantage of the research and development tax credit credit that can be claimed against your payroll tax obligations, provides cash funding for your business, and it's a relatively new development. Located in New Jersey, we oftentimes advise clients to take advantage of the New Jersey tax credit. But as I understand it now, you're saying there's also a federal tax credit for research and development for smaller companies. Yeah, it's a federal credit uh, that's, like I said, claimed against your uh, payroll tax obligations at the federal level. But, uh, you know, it's a program that's been around for pushing 50 years, but historically uh, was only available to large corporate taxpayers. So think ExxonMobil or General Electric, companies like that, that invested heavily in manufacturing processes, new technology, et cetera, and had a corporate income tax obligation. Much of the research and development, of course, it's done in the United States is done by early stage tech businesses that are pre-profitability, Uh, They don't have income tax obligations. And so there really wasn't a way uh, for these businesses to turn that credit into cash. They were eligible for it, but they couldn't monetize it. So it wasn't helpful for them. That changed uh, just about five years ago uh, with uh, some new rules that came out of the PATH Act, the Protecting Americans from Tax Hikes Act, that allow early stage businesses for their first five years, if they're under $5 million in revenue, to claim the credit against their payroll tax obligations. So now they have a way to, uh, t- to turn that credit into cash. Right. And so the basis of the credit system, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way it works in New Jersey is that there's a market for these tax credits, right? And so the larger companies who are looking for tax credit can sort of buy the R&D expenses from smaller companies and use that to reduce their taxes. And then the smaller company gets the cash. Is that also the way the federal tax program works? It doesn't work that way on the research and development tax credit. There are some niche markets in tax credits. There's tax credits for a number of different uh, business activities, generally centered around increases in employment, capital investment, developing new products, et cetera, can be at the federal or state level. You see more um, uh, sales of tax credits, as you're describing, Richard, at the state level. 
and some of the really uh, more niche programs. The research and development federal credit is, of course, across the country. There's really not a market to sell the credits. And so um, you have to be able to monetize them through, you have to have a tax obligation to offset. And so, uh, as I referenced earlier, if it, when it was only available against the income tax uh, obligations, that wasn't really helpful for startups. There was no way to turn them into cash and there was no market to sell them in. And right. so um, that you really didn't have much in the way of participation in, in early stage businesses. Now that these businesses are allowed to claim the credit against their payroll tax obligation, virtually all early stage businesses have payroll tax obligations if they have employees, they have a way to actually turn that credit into cash without selling it on a market, as you described. So Brent, how does your system actually work? It says a combination of software and experts. Yeah, it's very much like TurboTax. So if you think about, uh, if you don't go to a CPA firm or a tax preparer to have your tax return prepared, you might buy TurboTax and it's self-guided. You go through the process of uh, compiling the necessary documentation to to claim the credit. And there's expert services on the back end uh, that provide a a, a review of what you've done and and are available to answer questions as you go through the process. So it's very TurboTax-like. Jean, did you have a question? So you say it's like a TurboTax uh, program. So are, are they CPAs that answer the questions? Yes. Okay. Some, some CPAs and some attorneys, but yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you say payroll taxes, what are the typical payroll taxes that an employer is charged and what of those taxes can the tax credit be applied to? It's applied to the FICA tax obligation. So if, you're, if your business has, say, a million dollars in a payroll, uh, there'll be 6.2% of that that is... Uh, paid by the employees and withheld from their paycheck. And then 6.2% of that will be paid directly by the company. And it's that company portion of the FICA tax that this credit can offset. Kenya, did you have a question? I do. So in terms of industries that this will be applicable to, is it only certain industries or how do, would it work depending on what kind of business you have? Yeah, so it, it really is applicable if you're developing a new product or service offering that's based on one of the hard sciences. So technology development is very big, of course. Uh, pharmaceutical development, manufacturing, small manufacturers that improve their processes, the engineering work that goes into improving those processes. Really, any any business that employs or contracts with you know engineers that are developing new products or services. That's great. Would it apply to software development? Yes. So uh, software development, is, you know, if you're developing, you, you know, canned software, you can't, you know, just buy canned software and plug it in and, you know, and claim credit for, for that. But developing that software, you know, the costs of developing that software are eligible for the credit. The credit works out to be about 10% of what it costs you to develop a new product or service. And it comes back in the form of of uh, cash through these tax credits. Paul, do you have a question or comment? Uh, More just around clarity of this. So if you're developing software, it has to be a product that is sold in the marketplace or can it be just used for internal development purposes? So uh, there's a stricter set of rules if it's purely internal use. In software, you have three basic buckets. You have software that's developed for sale to third parties. Uh, There's SaaS platforms, so software as a service where you don't actually buy the software, but you utilize the software. And then there's software that you develop for your own internal use. The rules are a little murky around internal use software. There's actually a fair amount of case law out there, but some regulations came out about five or six years ago, which gives greater clarity that says, hey, if you've developed that software and it facilitates interactions with third parties, it can still qualify as creditable uh, spend. I'm writing this down because we have a number of internal software development projects. And where can we find the regulations related to that? It's in the tax code somewhere, right? Uh, I mean, if you want <laughs> Treasury regulation, <laughs> you can just point. send it to me in an email. All so, right. So, yeah. how do, so how do people find you if they want to buy this software and use it to get 10%? That's a lot. Get that bag. Where do they find you? www.clarisrd.com. And what is your business model for your project? Yeah. So our, our charges are contingent. So, uh, 
they are usually 15% of the tax credit that we obtain for people through this process. So there's no charge if you don't obtain tax credit and that uh, pricing can scale depending on how large a tax credit you get. So since you started this, have you seen an uptick in people using this tax credit? You said they weren't really using it before. Yeah, you've, you've seen a pretty dramatic uh, increase in number of claimants over the last five years since they've changed these rules. And now you see some of the major payroll platforms looking for solutions to roll out to their customers so that they can make sure that these credits are properly documented. Uh, this is an area that is ripe for fraud. Uh, there's really not a lot to keep you from just claiming the credit without doing the proper documentation. Absent the payroll companies just saying, no, you haven't submitted sufficient documentation to determine eligibility. So you know, there's seen a, a really significant increase in number of claimants over the last five years. So if you're a company and you're working with a vendor and you have an internal IT person, and then you are also working with a vendor, are the payments to the, assuming that the project qualifies, are the payments to the vendor also calculated as part of the credit or is it only the internal cost? Uh, internal and external spend counts. External spend with consultants is haircutted by 35%. So you get to claim 65% of the cost of external consultants. And the general concept there is they assume that that labor has been marked up, of course. And so uh, there's a there's a bit of a haircut in the in the process, but the spend is eligible. So Brent, are you planning to sell this company? I'm just curious. <laughs> Paul's already build- looking. Yeah, Paul's, Paul's like, come talk to me. Are, are you building it to sell, it. or do you, do you hope to keep it for a while? Yeah, you know, we we raised capital to to start the company because it, we did develop software in order to uh, be able to take this. What really was a traditional model executed in big four firms where they sent out experts and did interviews, et cetera, to compile the the required documentation. We built software around that. And that, of course, cost a fair amount of money to do up front. And so we're sure you took the tax credit for that. And we did, of course. (laughs) Yep. But yeah, so we we raised money and eventually the company will likely... uh, likely change hands. Right. Because the investors want an exit. That's when they get their money back. Sure. We have to wrap up this segment, but don't go away because we're not quite done yet. But this has been an awesome show. And you are listening to Passage to Profit with Richard Elizabeth Gearhart on WOR 710. And we will be right back. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application, that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to profit. I think it was just fantastic. And, you know, on the one hand, we had the hard business piece. And then on the other hand, we had the empathetic piece. Kind of yin and yang this evening. Can't do one without the other. We had Gene Sower and Paul Volan. And Gene recently sold his company with the help of Paul. But Gene is still working in his company. It's digital marketing. And, you know, I had Richard look at some of the work that Gina's done that's in his portfolio on his website. And Richard was pretty impressed, I, I got to say. Yeah. That is samsonmedia.net. And you can find Gene Sower, S O W E R, on LinkedIn. If you're interested in selling your company or finding out more from Paul, you can contact him at websitecloisers.com. And Paul Volan is also on LinkedIn. And then we had Adonica Shaw and her website is mywingwomen.com. And I think what she's doing is incredibly important. She has a platform and a site for women who are going through reproductive issues or things in their lives to get together and talk to each other about things they wouldn't really feel comfortable talking to people who wouldn't understand. 
understand about it. Right? right. And, you know, that includes men because we are notoriously unable to empathize and finding other people who've been through what you've been through and being able to talk about it is really just a first class approach. I think it's excellent. And then Brett Johnson with Claris RD, C L A R U S R D.com. And this is really super important too, because it's helping the people that are driving innovation by creating new things and doing research and development, get money to do it by getting this tax credit. The wheels in my head are already spinning on this one. So I'm sure a lot of our clients would love to hear about this. And I'm not sure that they get this advice from their tax accountant normally. So, And as always, we had Kenya Gibson with iHeartMedia. She is our media maven. Her name is spelled Kenya Gibson with a P and it's Kenya Gibson at iHeartMedia.com. And as I've said many times, she was the genius that dreamt up this show, but she has just excellent marketing ideas. And anytime I need a new idea, I go to Kenya. She's fabulous. She's amazing. So if you have questions about being on the radio, doing some advertising, talk to Kenya, email her, Kenya Gibson at iHeartMedia.com. And to our audience, thank you very much for listening to us. But before we go, we need some final thoughts. Paul, why don't you share some final thoughts with us? I would say uh, for all the entrepreneurs out there, sell on the way up. Uh, (laughs) Most sellers, most owners wait too long. They um, miss the opportunity when the business is growing. And that's what buyers want to see. They want to see a growing business. And so there are ways for you to get out of it, to exit it and not wait too long. You can do like Gene did and smoothly transition into a semi-retirement. So don't wait too long. So on the way up. We love that. Gene, what are your thoughts? Well, I know your audience is primarily entrepreneurs. So I really have two bits of advice. One is do it sooner than later. If you're thinking about starting a business, there's never going to be the perfect time where the opportunity is going to arrive on your doorstep, gift wrapped, and everything is perfectly aligned. Because one of my regrets in starting the business is that I hadn't started it sooner. The other thing is in terms of when you're strategizing starting your business, I would say ask for help from other entrepreneurs. Uh, while it's totally fine to ask your spouse or your, you know, people that are around you, I think entrepreneurs are really a special breed. And there's a lot of people who aren't entrepreneurs don't really understand and they're probably more cautious and they may think, oh, this is a crazy idea. And I think getting some input from other entrepreneurs is, is really very valuable. And when you ask for help, people like to give help. So... Wow, that's uh, great advice too. And, and thank you for helping our entrepreneurs. And uh, we totally appreciate that. Kenya? Yeah, I would say that today's show had all the pieces to the entrepreneurial puzzle, right? Creating a business, starting a platform, building a platform, applying the proper tax credits, and then selling. Have the <laughs> right? right. You're always good at putting it together, <laughs> So that's about it for us. We'll be back next week with another amazing episode of Passage to Profit, if we do say so ourselves. But before we go, I'd like to thank all the people that make the show possible. Noah Fleischman, our producer, Alicia Morrissey, our program coordinator, Chatterboss, our video editor, and the whole iHeart team. Passage to Profit on iHeartRadio, WOR 710, the voice of New York.